Pastor Xavier Reese illustrates with the building plans of the tabernacle God's ultimate plan of salvation. The material for the tabernacle is given. Gold, symbolizing deity. Silver, symbolizing redemption. Brass, symbolizing judgment. The cloth, blue represents heaven. Purple, royalty, exalted birth. And then you have scarlet, color used for the Roman emperors. All prophetic of Jesus Christ as we're going to see. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. God's desire has always been to be with His people in an intimate way. That's why He created Adam. That's why He created the Israelites. And that's why He created each of us. And this is also what was behind the construction of the tabernacle and Ark of the Covenant. It was all a part of God's divine design to bring His people back into communion with Him. But it was in no way the culmination of His master plan. In fact, as Pastor Xavier illustrates with today's simple truths, it was just a shadow of greater things to come. Let's listen. The study of the Old Testament provides much insight regarding God as people and the prophetic message of the Messiah to come. Christ Jesus. I fear that too many Christians, uh, as well as pastors, neglect the study of the Old Testament scriptures, thinking that it's boring, or worse yet, that it has no value for today. And yet, special attention is given to the tabernacle, as we'll see. Have you ever noticed that the material that's found in the book of Exodus, that deals with the tabernacle and the priesthood, is just a, a great chunk? The entire section from chapter 35 to 40, with the exception of 32, 33, and 34. Thirteen chapters out of the forty are dedicated to the instruction and construction of the tabernacle and the priesthood. That makes it about 33% of the book of Exodus. The book of Leviticus has 18 chapters. The book of Numbers has 13 chapters. The book of Deuteronomy has two more. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament has four chapters. A total of 50 chapters the Bible dedicates to the tabernacle and the priesthood. I would say that God is desiring for His people to know and understand the significance of the tabernacle and the priesthood. God's revelation is progressive, as you know, and it unfolds and it provides another piece of the puzzle so that we can better and clearly see the ultimate picture of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a foundation that had to be laid before the New Testament. The new is contained in the old, and the old is revealed in the new. And for that reason, what we want to do this morning, since we've gone through the whole book of Exodus, we want to look at three things regarding the tabernacle and see the prophetic significance, how it all comes together in Christ Jesus. We want to look at the provisions of the, for the tabernacle. Secondly, the pattern for the tabernacle. And then thirdly, the position of the tabernacle. And the outline behind me will help you so you don't freak out and don't know what I'm talking about. And you'll be able to see how it all fits together. Let's begin here with the provisions for the tabernacle. We're going to begin in chapter 25. And don't get so caught up with the passages. Listen, understand, and look at the pictures. You'll be able to do it. The first thing we see about the provisions of the tabernacle, that God chose the materials that had to be gathered from the people. In verse 1 here to 7, the source of the provision was Egypt. As you know, uh, the request was for back wages back in chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. All those years of slavery, and the people came out with great substance, great wealth, silver, gold, everything else is going to be gathered. Now, the manner they were to give it 
these provisions was very important and specified. In verse 1 and 2 there, Yahweh told the people to bring him an offering, a gift, not of debt. Too many people look at giving to God like it's a, I have to. Please, don't ever feel like you have to give God anything. He is not broken. He's not begging. Notice that he qualifies the gift from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. The attitude is what God is looking at, not necessarily the amount. Now, people get impressed by the amount, but God doesn't get it. God doesn't say, oh, Gabe, did you see that? That dude's good. God's not impressed by the amount you give. He's more interested, why do you give? That's the important thing. The craftsman came to Moses later on where we read in chapter 36, verse 3 through 7. And it says that the people bring too much. And Moses had to restrain the people from giving. I've never heard of that in our day. Amazing. Look at verse 3. The material for the tabernacle is given from 3 to 7. The metals are in 3. Gold, symbolizing deity. Silver, symbolizing redemption. Brass, symbolizing judgment. Those are consistent all the way through. The cloth and clothing material there in verse 4. Blue represents heaven. Purple, royalty, exalted birth. Used for the first magistrates of Rome. It was a symbol of inaugurated for the emperors. A raiment of peace. It comes from the species of shellfish. And then you have scarlet. was honorable. Color used for um, the Roman emperors uh, at times of war. And it speaks of slaughter and death resulting in honor and majesty. All prophetic of Jesus Christ, as we're going to see. The woman on the beast, by the way, in Revelation 17, has all these colors. Rome. The harlot. Then it says fine linen. Represents purity, holiness, glory, and honor. And these symbols are consistent. Now, the bride is arrayed in fine clothing, depicting the righteousness of the saints. Revelation 19.8 says, because we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This stuff grew in Egypt, as you know. It was soft, delicate, and very, very white. Now, when you get to verse 5, the outer coverings of the framework is given. And just in general, we'll get into them a little bit more as we go on. You had goat's hair. The first was linen inside, okay? And thou had cherubims and everything else, so the priest saw the heavenly sphere, because it's a picture of heaven. Then you would have the goat's hair, coarser, and it would move out, beginning refined to the coarser. Jesus would be the scapegoat to die for the sins of the nation. Then you have ram skin dyed red. Jesus would atone for all sins by his blood. Badger skin, believed to be dolphin or seal skin. Uh, Jesus would conceal the divinity of his human form. And this was for weather in the outside. This was a, a, a portable tent and tabernacle that was put up and down every time as the God moved. But then Acacia would in verse 5 uh, is mentioned. And this is harder than oak, very dense, avoiding decay. It's found in abundance in the Dead Sea in the Arabian Desert there. Uh, it grows about two feet thick and it's very dense wood. Uh, the bark uh, has a large black thorns and gum is extracted from it. And it speaks of the humanity of Jesus. God would become man. The whole framework here. Then you have oil for the light representing the Holy Spirit. And you have the spices for the anointing oil. The incense representing the praise to God as they ascend up. The last thing we mentioned in verse 7 there is the precious stones for the ephod. The onyx stones, gems, probably onyx, uh, chrysophrasus, beryl, malachite, and others. And uh, the other one would be for the breastplate. So you had on the breastplate 12 stones. And then two stones on the shoulders to test the ephod with six names and six names. He would bear the burden of the people and he would do it lovingly to God. He was the go-between. He was the mediator, as we'll see. Now, 
God also chose the craftsmen. They would equally come from the people. The, the provisions from the people, the people would come from the people. Okay? Uh, in chapter 31, verse 1 through 5, the Lord told Moses uh, he had called Baziel in verse 1 and 2. And the pronoun I indicates Yahweh is the one doing all the choosing, not man. Baziel means the shadow of God, i.e. protection. God has his hand upon him, and this is always the case. He was a grandson of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and a descendant of Caleb. Uh, we have this confirmed in First Chronicles 2.19. This is the key to ministry, ladies and gentlemen, and for effectiveness of ministry. God calls the man. God calls the person. Today we're trusting too much in church growth and marketing and our corporate technology and all that we know. And we're running the church like a business rather than letting God call, anoint, and lead. Now the anointing, notice in verse 3 through 5, and enabling Baziel for the task came with the call. This is always the way God does things. He filled him with the Spirit of God, enabling him in verse 3. He fills him with wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and all manner of workmanship. So our talents, our abilities are natural things. God can use them through the anointing of the Spirit, but they're not supernatural gifts. God gives supernatural gifts, and we have them in the New Testament. God is anointing these individuals. In verse 4 and 5, the purpose of God was for the building of the tabernacle, to design artistic work, the work of gold, silver, bronze. To cut jewels, setting, carving wood, work of all manner of workmanship. These guys were talented. But your talent and abilities are worthless without God's anointing. You understand? In verse 6, the Lord also called now Aholiab. Now here's a couple of names if you guys are having children. Uh, son of Ahishamak and um, the tribe of Dan. And Aholiab uh, means father's ten. Once again, the personal pronoun, I, is the key to the call of God. The anointing of a holy hour again for the task uh, came with the call. God put wisdom uh, in the heart of all those gifted artisans. Others would assist the work. So these guys are the master craftsmen. They oversee, they direct, the quality control, and all of that. And the purpose again was that they be able to make all that God ordered. A holy hour. I have commanded, he says in verse 6. So this is the emphasis over and over again. Now, the seven articles of the, for the tabernacle in verse 7 through 9 there... And the courtyard are itemized. We're going to get to them a little later on, but there's seven there. Now, notice when you get to verse 10 through 11, the priesthood and his vestures are there, the anointing off of the holy place, and the incense according to all that God commanded. And so these two, again, are the master craftsmen, overseeing and teaching others and responsible for the work. Chapter 36, verse 2 confirms this. Now, God also chose the priesthood. Which again would come from among the people. Exodus chapter 28 tells us that. Moses was commanded to take Aaron and his sons, as you know, from among the children of Israel to minister to Yahweh as priests. And the names are given. In verse 1, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. They were to make holy garments, verse 2 says for them, for glory and for beauty. Glory means honor and splendor. Beauty means excellent rank. So these people are put aside. They're the go-betweens. They're very key people. No one else can go before God except for them. In verse 3, Moses was to speak to all who were gifted artisans, whom Yahweh had filled in the spirit of wisdom, and consecrate him that he may minister to Yahweh as priests. 
So they were there to make all these things. In verse 4, the articles of clothing to be made for the priest or the breastplate, the ephod, the robe, the skillful woven tunic, the turban, the sash. And again, the purpose is repeated. Holy garments for Aaron and his sons that they may minister to Yahweh as priests. And so you can see the, the tabernacle. You see the different things that are there. This, this we'll, we'll see how it fits into the tabernacle there. You have the perimeter there. But this is the vestment of the priest. And he was there again to minister to the people. The materials for the garments, again in verse 5, gold, blue, scarlet, thread. We've seen the symbolism. All representing of the priesthood of Jesus Christ to come. Now, he would minister first to represent the people to God. Exodus 28, 12, and 29 tells us that. In verse 12, it says, Bearing the burden for the people, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod, a memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. So six on this shoulder, six on that. And the ephod would clap together, kind of like overalls. And then, in verse 29, they would bring the people out, they would bear the people out of love. So it wasn't a duty thing, but because they loved the people. It says, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. So this, this, this is God's orders. This is God's choosing. He's laying everything out. But not only to represent the people to God, but then verse 30 of 28, to represent God to the people. He had to come out. He would go in representing, then he would come out. He knew the judgment of God by the Urim and the Thummim here that is called. Lights and perfections. That's all we know is what it means. Lights and perfections. Some believe it's a white and a black stone, how they determine God's will. We don't know. It's all guesses. It means lights and perfections that were in the ephod, and he would know it. And he bore Yahweh's judgment continually, it says. So here, again, the key person is this high priest pointing to Jesus Christ, the ultimate high priest to come. There can be no one else. The people of God had forgotten this basic principle for the provisions and ministry of God because of comfort and prosperity through their history. Haggai the prophet in chapter 1 verse 5 through 6 says, Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, and the Lord of hosts means the captain of the armies of heaven. That means he's at war with those he's addressing. Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. And God declares, you have forgotten about me. So no matter how much you have, it's never going to be enough. Because you're not living by priorities. And you don't get anywhere. Now, do you think God is broke? (laughs) Do you think he wants your money or your heart? Any pastor who presses you to give money, get up and walk out. If they take an offering on Sunday, fine. Nonchalant. But if they tighten the screws, get up and walk out. God's not broke. Financial giving in the church is to come from the people of God with a willing heart. No other way. The material needs should be met by the congregation of any church. If there's 20 people in that church and they're faithful to God, then that means God will get done whatever he wants done through those 20 people. They don't have to beg the world. Didn't God call them? Isn't God directing them? We've never begged for nothing. If God's in it, he's in it. If not, then let's close up shop. God is sufficient for his work. Honest he is. 
We misrepresent God so bad when it comes to finances. If, if, if you ask the average person on the street, what's the first thing that comes to your mind for church? They will say, begging for money. And I, and, I, and I have no defense for it. Because that's the majority of the church today. It's horrible. Now the calling and anointing of men and women in the church for ministry is still God's doing. Nothing has changed. All people in ministry are to be raised up in the body with gifts. Romans chapter 12. If you're a Christian, if this is your church, then God will give you gifts and he'll direct and guide you to be involved in the ministry. Just like your body, every part of your body serves the entire body. This hand never has served itself. This finger has never served itself. It serves the rest of the body. We get a secular perspective. We get a very selfish attitude and we come and say, well, what can you do for me? No, what do you mean what can I do for you? What has God called you to do for the church? What has God called you to do for the world? That's the question. Now, the calling and anointing of men and women to the church ministry is still God's doing, as I said. And we are given gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 and how to use them. And those are the problematic gifts. And God is giving you gifts so that the body might be edified. Not be tossed to and fro with every one of doctrines. Ephesians 4, 10 through 16 says that the body be edified in love. Every part doing what God has called it to do. And God puts it all together. Now, the priesthood in the New Testament is that of the priesthood of the believers. I am not closer to God than you. We have the same access. I, I'm not your priest. I'm a pastor. I teach you. But you can go to God. You don't need me. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. Coming to him as living stones, rejected indeed by man, but chosen by God and precious. Speaking of Jesus. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, he says, But you, as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is God's doing. The provisions for the tabernacle were to be provided by the people. Nothing has changed, ladies and gentlemen. For 28 years, God has taken care of us through the church. And we've been able to go different places, to flip the bill for radio, to do mission outreach, uh, medical outreaches, different things. And we have never begged anybody. God has taken care of the church. Because it's his church. You understand? Let's look at the pattern of the tabernacle next. The pattern of the tabernacle. Chapter 27, 9 through 19. The courtyard fence would be seen from a far distance. As you see the courtyard up here. You, this is what we're going to talk about. The south and north wall of the court. In verse 9 through 11. They were to make the hangings of fine woven linen. In 9 and 11. Uh, 150 feet long. And uh, with 20 pillars and 20 sockets of bronze. Bronze is for redemption. And then the hooks of the pillars and their bands would be with silver. Silver, redemption. Uh, brass is judgment. Okay. So you have deity, gold, Jesus. God would be judged as sin to redeem mankind. So you have the whole symbolism through it. There was to be hooks and pillars and bands of silver through it. And then when you get to verse 12 through 15, you have the west and the east wall of the courtyard up there. And um, they were to make these hangings 75 feet long. So 150 on the two and then 75 feet long 
uh, with its pillars and its ten sockets. And the hanging on the east side, there would be a 22 and a half foot on one side, 22 and a half foot on the other side, and there would be a 30 foot gate on the east. Only one gate. Jesus is the only door to the sheepfold. John 10. Only one way. You can't get in anywhere. You climb over, you're a thief and a robber. The east gate, with the details are given in 16 through 19, the gate was to be, as again, 30 feet long, and it's a blue, purple, and scarlet thread, woven linen by the weaver, pillars in its sockets, so it would be strong and wouldn't fall down. In verse 17, all pillars around the court were to have bands, hooks, sockets, and silver, because again, this thing is taken up and taken down. It's portable. In verse 18, the length of the court was 150 by 75 feet wide, Seven and a half feet high, so nobody could peer in. And woven linen, sockets and browns. So the square footage was 11,250 square feet of the courtyard. The emphasis is separation between the things of God and the things of the world. Jesus being the only one door to come into the presence of God. Now, in 19, all the utensils and tabernacle and all the services, the pegs and the pegs of the court were all made of bronze or brass, depending on your translation, judgment. In Exodus 26, you have the tabernacle, then would be seen in the middle. So you have the courtyard, then in the very middle, you have the tabernacle. A rectangular box of acacia wood and frame, 15 feet high, 15 feet wide, 45 feet long. The planks would stand straight upward. Of acacia wood, it's harder than oak. It doesn't give... To decay easily with insects and that, it's real hard and dense. It's made of two rooms, as you can see up there. The holy place is 15 by 30, and the holy of holies is 15 by 15. Each board was to have two tendons or two bases, and they were allowed a gap between the walls because the first curtain was of fine linen with cherubims and scarlet and all this, so that the priest would see a picture of heaven. The tabernacle is a picture of heaven, as we'll see, the throne of God. Now, the holy place was a place of daily service, the first one. But the holy of holies was entered only once a year, a Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And Leviticus 16 gives us the specifics. There were to be five bars, as these planks are upright, 15 by 45. Five bars of acacia would go along the wall, up on the top, and on the bottom, around rings so it would strap the boards together and make them one solid wall and there would be middle bars that would go from one end to the other so you have three bars running parallel to the ground at different levels so if you have 15 feet high at midsection you have seven and a half and whatever the distance would be three of them it would hold it real firm and um, the holy place again 15 feet by 15 would be 225 square feet the holy place 15 by 30 would be 450 square feet. Notice there were two curtains in the tabernacle. Right between those two rooms, one was at the entrance of the holy place, and then the other between the holy place and the most holy, the veil. Remember, there were four coverings, as I said, in the tabernacle in chapter 26. The inner one with the linen, the cherubim, the scarlet, and everything. And then would come the goat's hair next. And then the ramskin, red. And then the porpoise or the badger or seal for weatherproofing. All a picture of Christ. It would be God and he would occupy a human form which would not reveal that he was God. 
It was all prophetic of Christ to come. Pastor Xavier Reese, pointing out the image of the Savior Jesus Christ, God's ultimate plan of salvation, among the building plans of the Holy Tabernacle. Simple truths from the book of Exodus. And there's much more of this message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Tabernacle and Jesus. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Tabernacle and Jesus. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com